Well, look at that. It's like we're professionals. So welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on our 1,000th show with our wonderful panel of guests. And I guess we can either, I don't know, do you, we, can, we can just move on to the next question. It seems like we're taking okay. about a half hour to answer each question, so we'll move on to the next one. Okay, well, our next uh, third question uh, that was most commonly asked was, and these have to be people who listen to this show a lot mm. as we talk about this. How does time work, Mark D'Antonio? Well, you have a clock, and then a second happens, and then another one happens. Time, time's actually a human construct. Um, the universe doesn't know anything about time. We do because we invented time in our minds because we wanted to chron uh, chronologically uh, order things. And so uh, doing that means that we are just creating a methodology based on what we saw with atoms and how they vibrate, uh, the atomic clock. Okay, And based on this vibration, we devised a timing mechanism so that we uh, know uh, how events will progress from one See, you can't say one moment to the next, right? You have to say how events progress. Because if we say one second to the next, I've already invoked time. But if you just say how uh, events progress, uh, then that's almost anything. It means that there's change, all right? And the change occurs over a definitive period that we're calling time. I, I actually don't spend too much time thinking about time travel and uh, time, I do understand, you know, uh, time dilation and things uh, relative to special relativity and general relativity, but I don't think about it uh, in terms of my human experience uh, in that way. So this question doesn't have as much meaning for me as the other questions so far. So I'm, I'm out of it in that case. So I would have okay. to pass, pass the torch. Kathleen Martin. Okay, well, uh, I agree with with Mark that uh, time is uh, nonlinear the way it is here on our planet. We measure time, and uh, our um, the meta-analyses of our ESP studies indicate uh, very clearly that time is not what we think it is because we can see into the future. Uh, so uh, that's something to think about. Also, when I think about uh, the uh, experiences of individuals who have been taken into what we think of as an extraterrestrial environment, uh, one of the questions that we asked on our studies is, uh, was there a time differential? And the average length of human time that people were missing was two hours, but some people were missing for several days, other people were missing for only a few seconds, and, and then other people were returned to this earthly environment at an earlier time than when they were taken. So uh, that's my perception of time, and it's another short answer like Mark's. Okay, Matthew Moniz. Well, from what I understand of time, you know, my own personal view, is every moment of time has already happened. It's just our point at where we're in it that we're observing. 
Um, the future has already happened, the past has already happened, and we're just stuck in some point in between. <coughs> and unfortunately, you know, time is one of these things that gets a little gray when, <laughs> when you're trying to answer it. Because, see what you did there. Uh, sorry. <laughs> but basically what winds up happening is you wind up with you know your own observation of it uh, time is relative to the observer basically so um and what happens in it is different to each person observing it like good example a car accident that people watch okay we're all experiencing the same time but my observation of what I saw is different than what you saw when the accident happened, okay? And then it's all up to our interpretations of it. Time itself, like I said, is already happened both in the future and in the past. So, yeah, I'm with Mark and Kathy on this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Anthony Peake, this is your big moment. Okay. Uh, around about, even saying the term really seems to seem nonsensical, really. But around about or 12, 13 years ago, I wrote a book called The Labyrinth of Time. And I'm with St. Augustine on this, because St. Augustine said that if I don't think about time and people ask me what it is, I fully understand it. But as soon as you start to think about it, and as soon as you start to talk about it, it kind of crumbles and you, you suddenly realise... I'm not quite sure what it what, what it is. And then we get the scenario, you know, that scientists will say it's entropy. You know, it's, it's a movement from order to disorder. And that's what it is. Or we have, the, you know, as Mark said, we have the geometric idea of clock time. But neither of these are really time. And philosophers, for men, scientists, you know, have an issue with time. You know, we, we, we know it's the fourth dimension from Einstein and everything else as well. Then we have some fascinating things that Minkowski came up with in terms of block time. But in terms of the philosophers, it becomes very, very complex. And, you know, you start reflecting on it for a second. And for example, time is the only thing I know that is measured by itself. You can have a pound of apples and everything else as well. But you can only ever have a minute of a minute. And I have no way of knowing whether your minute is equal to, to my minute. Because the French philosopher, I think it was Saussure, said there are two things. There's durée and long. And the idea that there's an inner duration. And there's long, which is a different form of time. But then we have to reflect for a moment. One of the analogies, um, I think it was Marcus Aurelius, said that we never step in the same river twice. But if, river, if time is like a river and time flows, we have an issue here because what's it flowing against? If I see a river, I see a riverbank, I see a river flowing and the riverbank is the measurement device by which I know the river flow. So why do we know that time flows and what's it flowing against? And um, a comparatively famous Irish Anglo-Irish aeronautical engineer called John William Dunn in I think it was 1927 or 28 wrote a book called An Experiment with Time and he used this idea and he said if we extrapolate from this we have to assume there's another time called time two that which we measure time one against if I'm making sense so time two is almost the riverbank that makes us see time flowing 
But then he argued that if there is that is the case, there must be another observer in time too. And he called that observer too. But of course, that ends up in an infinite regress, because how many times have you got measuring against yourself? And, you know, does time flow from the, an indeterminate future, becomes the present moment and disappears into the past? Or is it a construct of perception? There is a, an interesting British mathematician called Julian Barber that in 2000 wrote a book called The End of Time. And he argued that time is not continual. Time is in slivers. And what we think is movement is, in fact, effectively like a cartoon where there's a series of static images that link to each other. Now, again, there was a very interesting discovery made literally around about three or four years ago, again in Germany, where uh, um, somebody suffered from what's called the Zeitraffer phenomenon, whereby uh, and he, he started seeing images as static images. And he realized, I know it was a lady, actually, was, there was a lady, there was, the Zytraffer was subtly different, but there was a lady that actually had this, this particular neurological problem where she couldn't even cross a road because the car would be there, then it would be on her, and then it would go past her. So clearly there seems to be slivers of time. Now, within quantum mechanics, then, we then have an issue because what do we mean, then, by time? Is time quantized? Does it effectively mean that time, like matter, comes in little quanta, little packets? In which case, what are those little packets? What are the, what are the carriers of the, the message? Because in quantum mechanics, we have the, the, the principle and the idea that photons are the bosons. They are the energy carriers of the electromagnetic wave. So what about time being this way? The smallest part bit of time you can have is called Planck time which is the amount of time it takes a photon to cross the Planck length, which I won't go into the technicalities of this. But if that's the smallest bit of time there is, is it quantized? That means there's a bit of time here and next to it another bit of time, in which case what's between the bits of time? So suddenly we're into these really interesting areas. And of course, we know that time and, and, and matter are the same thing. As you get closer to the speed of, speed of light, Matter and energies and manage and energy and matter start to meld into each other. So here we have some really interesting, massive conundrums of what we really mean when we talk about time. What do we mean when we talk about time dilation? When somebody, the point that was made before, you know, and I've studied this extensively because it's a central part of my cheating the ferryman thesis about near death. The idea of when time slows down for an individual subjectively. What is happening there? How does that happen? What is the mechanism that brings about the slowing down of time? And again, we believe it's neurologically based. We think it's to do with, with certain release of certain neurochemicals in the brain that slows down time. There's some fascinating experiments being done in terms of um, uh, people being dropped from a great height in, a, in a, a chair lift. And what they did was, as they were falling, they asked them to look at a clock that numbers were changing really quickly. And people did see the numbers changing, which seems effectively the time is relative to us. Now, this is intriguing. So, and of course, time is the, as somebody once said, time is the, 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 the thing that stops everything always happening at once. But it's more than that. It's the everything we gauge the universe by is time. Everything is gauged by time. And again, coming back to the near-death experience and what happens at the point of death, referring back, I'd argue that that 
Time is the evidence that we potentially might be immortal beings. Your time is different to my time, and it's different to everybody else's time. We live within our own subjective phaneron of time. Okay. Ben? Oh, boy. I always have the misfortune of going right after Anthony. Um, so I, there's a really cool idea called pre-reflective consciousness. Um, and the idea of it being that, you know, we can, we can step back and be aware of, of our, of our thoughts, our surroundings, you know, body functions, etc. It's like, um, there's a little joke people like to do where, Hey, have you ever breathed manually? And then you start doing it. And it's, it's one of those things where you don't really think about it. Um, it, it sort of correlates with the idea of how the Greeks sort of dealt with, with knowledge and having the different types of knowledge that we use, right? So, you know, you have um, episteme, sci you know, scientific knowledge, techni, technical knowledge, uh, doxa, they can considered, which was the knowledge of public opinion, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the really interesting things is, you know, how do we engage with those, right? You know, it's almost like you switch gears almost. It's like I put a math problem in front of you, Matt. You know, you'll know how to do it. You just kind of like, yeah. okay, cool, yeah, I get it. All right, you know, two plus two is four, or you know, five if it's the base two system, <laughs> etc. Right? So, you know, or, or if I say, all right, Matt, I want you to explain thermodynamics to me, and you'll just be like, okay, yeah, here it is. You know, or you know, what's <laughs> what are the statistics in in the latest political polls? You're like, oh, okay, well, here's what public opinion is. Right? You'll you'll be able to switch those and not really think about it. But then, you know, let's say you're in a mall, right, and you're on the top floor. And you look over the edge and you get a thought that says, just drop your phone or, or jump, you know, intrusive thoughts, right? You know, where do those come from? Are they in you? Are they elsewhere? And the idea is, is super interesting because this idea of pre-reflective consciousness, we are able to kind of step back and sense, oh, geez, you know, I'm sensing the minutes going by now, the seconds, you know, the time, you know, I, I look at the clock and I'm like, wow, we've been on the air for over <laughs> almost an hour and 15 minutes now. And look at that, it barely felt like it, you know. We've we've powered through, you know, two sort of major questions and we're, you know, about to power through a third one here. And I'm genuinely impressed that we have been able to do it as fast as we have because typically, you know, the the you know, the, the you know, length questions don't really correlate to how long it takes to actually answer them. So really, I guess it's kind of one of those things where I also agree with Saint Saint Augustine on this because no one's really been able to top it at this point, right? The confessions, oddly, it's like everyone else since then has kind of been copying and pasting without really knowing it, right? You know, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where we can try and take a step back, use pre-reflective consciousness, and be able to kind of assess it in some way, shape, or form, but at the end of the day, it's still the subject-object problem, right? We're all experiencing the, the object differently, right? And so it's it's so fascinating to try and answer because I have a counter question if anyone wants to try and answer it. What is the purpose of time? Well, anybody uh, go for well, it. As I said earlier on, to stop everything happening all at the same time. You know, that that I wrote sense. when I was coming back from the States recently. I actually watched that film, Everything, <laughs> all, all, everything Happening All at Once, if oh, you've so seen good. it. It's extraordinary. It's a fantastically wonderful film. But again, you know, it just kind of shows that, you know, without we need time. Okay, <laughs> we always yeah. remember. Yeah, I mean, this is separation. It's meant to basically measure chronological events um, uh, because humans don't have the ability to multitask and see everything at once. If we did, we may never have invented time. And the universe might look very different to us. Right. 
because we think, oh, that supernova, that exploded 20 million years ago. It's a supernova we're currently looking at in our remote observatory. Uh, however, what's 20 million years ago mean? Okay, What does that really mean, and how is it that we say it's 20 million years ago? Well, because it's a distance 20 million light years away, that's how long it takes light to travel uh, from here uh, to there. It's a 20 million years, so 20 million light years. Okay, A measure of time and distance all at the same time. So you see, we conflate things together too when it's convenient, and that's what we do with this, with time um, in astronomy. But you know what? Uh, again, uh, we accept that there is passage of time because we see what atoms do, and we see the vibrational states of atoms. And based on the vibration within atoms, we came up with a concept of time. Now, this was something that was obviously way before they knew about atoms time was created of course but we have an atomic clock and that turned out to be a very accurate clock based on the vibration of an atomic nucleus okay could um, also be considered a measurement of speed uh, I guess so except in Star Wars where they say they'll make the Kessel run in six parsecs <laughs> that was totally wrong and I, when I saw Star Wars I went oh I can't believe that was allowed through how could they say that Okay, it could well, be different uh, laws of physics, Mark. It's a, it's a <laughs> different universe. No, uh, Kathy, you'd like to comment here? Or? I'll pass on that one. Okay. <laughs> well, let's move on to question number four in our ultimate question series. Are we really living in a hologram? I'll throw that to, at Mark, and maybe Mark could briefly explain the holographic theory. So oh. for anybody out there who doesn't have a master's in physics. Uh, 25 I, words or less, please. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen. But uh, so I, I, I will actually not attempt to explain holographic theory. Um, but I will say this much, though. Every time there's a science fiction movie that comes out, all right, and this can relate to something that, that Anthony was saying earlier. Every time there's a scientific or, 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 or science fiction movie that comes out that speculates that uh, the moon is hollow or that we live in a tank full of gel and uh, the aliens are stealing our energy and mining our, our electric fields, matrix, okay? Uh, suddenly that becomes what the world is to many people, all right? So I think that people generate a lot of their, their, a lot of their thoughts and theories based on some Hollywood guys that just want to make money. All right, and let's be clear. I mean, they say, "Oh, that's a cool theory. It's, it's the Matrix, or the Moon's a hologram." You know, it's like, "Yeah, we landed on a hologram." Ugh, you know, it's like, you know, palm, face palm. You know, so I, uh, I don't think that that um, that uh, the holographic universe uh, holds too much water for me. Yeah, it's essentially the idea that we're living in a, a computer simulation or a projection. Yeah. That's yeah, I, I, I don't buy that. I mean, yeah. and I think that people think that because the human brain can work like a computer and works like a computer in many ways. And we've modeled computers after how the human brain operates, too. Don't forget, we invented the computers. Right. Okay. So a lot of that is, is, is basically uh, creating objects based on our human experience, right? Uh, we create robots that look like humans and dogs and things we know. Okay, Boston Dynamics does this, right? Well, the, the bottom line here is that, you know, it has to do with everything we already know, 
And so uh, when people, for instance, will see a movie that has a holographic theme to it, uh, there are a, a few that will be very loud about it and vocal, and they will call this real. Um, and I know people that are supposed to know better who actually think that the Matrix is real and that somehow the Wachowski brothers had figured it out as the scientists they are, which they're not. So I don't know. But okay. I, don't, I don't put any stock in it. All right. Uh, Kathleen Martin. Are we actually two-dimensional, and are we only part of a holographic projection that causes us to believe that we are three-dimensional or makes us three-dimensional? Edgar Mitchell and Rudy Shield are very interested in this, uh, as was Ray Hernandez from uh, the Free Organization, and now they're studying consciousness. And uh, given that theory, if it is correct, these non-human entities might be scientists living on another distant planet uh, in somewhere in our galaxy or maybe in another galaxy. And uh, they are there projecting themselves as a hologram into our environment. Uh, the, the difficult part for me to wrap my head around is how they can do this and be physical beings, can take humans into their environment. The humans lie on a table. The humans feel their, the, the solid flesh of these entities. Uh, they experience uh, their presence the way that we would experience others uh, who are human, only they're different. So are they traveling here at the speed of thought, as, as Rudy believes, or are, is this something different? Uh, it, it's uh, something that I think is difficult to, for most of us to even wrap our heads around, uh, n n not even uh, consider in a sense. But uh, it's interesting, uh, but I prefer to think that uh, something else is happening, that they, these entities are actually multidimensional and that they're in our environment, and that they are able to slip through dimensions, uh, through portals, and come into our environment or take us to their dimensional environment. Here, they don't seem to be uh, physical oftentimes, but when we go to their environment, they're as physical as anything on this planet. And so that's the way uh, I have come to interpret what is occurring. Okay, uh, Rudy Shield being the Harvard astrophysicist. Yes. Uh, Matthew Moniz? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> the way I look at it, and this may fit more into Anthony's wheelhouse, the holographic universe is actually our own brain. That's the way we're interpreting the universe. A brain creates a universe in and of itself inside the brain neurochemically. Now, I'm an analytical chemist by trade, and uh, I work a little bit with genetic engineering and stuff like that. But what I do know is 
the brain is a very, very complex piece of chemical machinery, okay? And it can generate a lot of our perception of what we have in our world around us. Now, is that brain generating that reality that we see? Yes. It, it does generate our own perception. You know, I'm touching my phone. Is this phone really here? Or is it here because the brain is projecting something that's saying it's physical and tangible? Now, there, the people that are putting this forward, are they just merely modeling this after, you know, what our own brain does? Uh, I, I, I'm kind of like with Mark. I don't really buy into it being a larger construct. Not say it couldn't be, but... Okay. Yeah. Anthony Peak. Okay, I'll start with the statement. Physical reality that we think is physical reality that is solid is 99.9999999999996 empty space. What is solid are the electrons and quarks, nothing else. Okay, there might be fields there, there might be sort of zero point fields and everything else, but most of our it's empty space. When we feel that we actually physically interface with anything, you're not, you never touch anything. It's called electrostatic repulsion. The electrons at the the outer shells of the of the atoms are actually negatively charged, as are the shells are the electrons in the end of your fingers and the end of your bottom when you sit on a chair. So you never interface with anything either. So suddenly there's something rather peculiar about the nature of reality we think it is. It ain't solid. It ain't there. So what is it? So what brings it about? Max Tegmark in his recent book, The Mathematical Universe, argued the universe at its basis level is mathematical. It's numbers. It's statistics. It's numbers. Nothing more. Quantum physics has known for years about the statistical wave function. Nobody fully understands why we mean the statistical wave function. It's not a real wave function. It's a statistical wave function that literally is a mathematical construct stating whether a subatomic particle will be found in one location or another. And depending upon the size of the wave is where the particle is likely to be found. Then we have the point of view that it's consciousness or the act of measurement that collapses that wave function into a point particle in a particular location or not. So to turn around and say that, oh, you know, that, you know, it's physically out there and it's real, it ain't. We also know from perception studies that everything is internally modeled by the brain. It's an eternal model. We think there is a three-dimensional world out there that is created visually from an inverted image, postage stamp sized, at the, at the retina. And if that's turned into an electrical signal which goes to the darkest part of the brain, the visual cortex. And in the visual cortex, it takes that signal and that small message and creates this three-dimensional world that's all around you. So that's the first point I'd like to make. The second point is that uh, people like Wildman de Senna, Lennon Suskin, Jacob Beckenstein would disagree the argument that there's no validity to the whole argument of the, of the, of the, the holographic universe. These are guys that argued for years about the nature of this. And somebody should tell Craig Hogan at the Perimeter Institute in Canada that he's searching for the pixelation of space. They've got scientists working for the pixelation space. There was something found a few years ago by the six. The, the, uh, there's, the, they were looking for gravity waves in southern Germany, and they found some fluctuations that is beyond my understanding because I'm not mathematical enough to understand it. But it seemed that this was evidence that the universe is in some way digital in its structure. 
So clearly here, there does seem to be, you know, why is there something rather than nothing? You know, surely nature works at the most simple, and the most simple would be nothing. But there is something. And we know, all we actually know is that we are perceiving something that's out there. Whether we look at the universe and everything, we know from mysteries of, for instance, uh, Wheeler's uh, delayed choice experiment can show theoretically that by the act of observation, we bring quasars into existence that are 10, 15 billion years old. You know, and we can actually do this kind of um, double slit experiment with light waves going around a galaxy. You know, something and we, we know this exists because probably, Mark, you know, you know, the, the Einstein, Einstein crosses where you see four quasars and you know that it's the light bending around um, a galaxy, which gives you the image that there's four quasars when in fact there's only one. Makes so this sense. proves to me that there's something much more interesting about the nature of reality. The question is, what is the interface between me as a conscious observer and the, in the, and the universe outside? Now, Nick Bostrom, who is a Swedish philosopher, uh, many years ago came up with the idea that there's only th some options about how humanity will, will pan out. And the idea is that either he, with looking at uh, Moore's law, the idea that every year the amount of processing power doubles in terms of how we can create computers. There is an argument to say that as more time goes on, the computing power available to our, our descendants is going to be phenomenal. And now we've got quantum computing. It's going to be even more amazing because we're dealing with qubits, which are actual, actual calculations that take place in alternate universes. You know, so this is extremely extreme stuff. So the computing power they're going to make is huge. So what would our future generations, assuming they don't wipe themselves out, what will they do? Well, it's likely they'll create simulations because we've already created simulations with the Sims. We also created simulation universes online. We have uh, No Man's Sky that we've created. We have now with virtual reality headsets, we can go into a world that literally we can walk around in in an illusion of three dimensions, which is actually only two dimensions, which is created from mathematics. So when you put your Oculus Rift headset on and you're wandering around this three dimensional world, it's not three dimensional. It's two dimensional. It's created out of maths, zeros and ones, nothing more, nothing less. But you believe it's real because your perceptions tell you it's real. So could it be that these future generations turn around and they say, do you know what we could do? We'll invent, we'll invent an ancestor sim and we'll populate that ancestor sim with, with our ancestors. And we will actually create sims of our ancestors. Now, I don't know enough about the, what's called the substrate problem. And the substrate problem is basically if you scanned your brain, if somebody scanned Anthony Peake's brain, down to the sub the subatomic level and then uploaded that into a computer with digital information. Would that be me? Would that be conscious? Would that be aware? In which case, where does consciousness come from? Does consciousness appear by the addition of one molecule, one quark, one electrical field? Spontaneously, where does it come from? So let's argue that that it's that consciousness is an epiphenomenon of brain of brain or information fields. In which case, these beings could be sentient. If they could be sentient, they're living their lives like we're living here. And they've got no way of knowing. Remember the famous thought experiment, the, the, uh, the brain in a vat. You know, the idea if you had all the feed, if all your tactile feedback and your physical feedback was being fed to you digitally, how would you know? 
how would you have even the vaguest idea that you're living within a simulation? Or even more important, if you were living in a simulation of your life being you from the moment of your birth, how would you ever know? You couldn't. So in which case, the question is much more interesting than that in terms of the um, its argument. And in my latest book, I discuss this in great detail. Some, using some of the latest work. So while we go into altered states of consciousness, when we have out-of-body experiences, how does that work? If we were in a simulation, it could work. If it's a simulation, you could go elsewhere. You could move within the simulation. You could fly in the simulation, lucid dreaming, these kind of things. There are all these things that need to be explained. If they are real phenomena, they need to be explained. But they can't be explained by just, it happened to me, anecdotes, bang, bang, bang. We need to do the science. I keep banging on about this. You know, we can sit here till the cows come home. We're not going to we're not going to convince anybody, any skeptic out there unless we engage with them and say, hey, guys, you know, you're coming up with this simulation theory. You're coming up with all these ideas. Do you realize that these are actually explaining the things we have been experiencing for years? You know, the free guys. I mean, I was in contact with them a few years ago and they wanted me to join them. And for some reason, I lost contact, which was really, really sad, because I think a lot of the stuff they were doing was absolutely incredible. You know, so what we're doing now is we're building a worldview. And I think that we are collectively creating the future by our acts of observation. We are collapsing the wave function of a new reality. And that new reality, new reality can include everything from quantum mechanics to cosmology. And I always feel, you know, cosmology fascinates me. And really, you know, sort of, Mark, I really want to talk to you more because the stuff you're saying that I was really getting very excited about. So that's my opinion on it. I think my I do not know. I take all I take the science and I say, well, what does this suggest? And it suggests to me that there's more to this than meets the eye. And because and as Mark said, quite rightly, any culture will always <laughs> extrapolate from its technology how the world works we know this we always do this you know the newtonian universe was me mechanistic in the way it way it worked this is what we do because we can only do what we, from we understand but i think we're getting to the point now where we're starting to realize that the universe is far stranger than we can ever ever imagine and we're just starting on a really incredible journey Okay. Okay. Uh, ben, uh, uh, would you assimilate us through our final break of the show? Of course. I will be glad to. So you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on our 1000th show, and we will be right back. Hi, this is Joe Callahan, your maitre d' inside the Tiki Bar, letting you know the Tiki Bar is now open two days a week on ON, AM, and FM, Saturdays at noon, and a replay Mondays at 6. The Tiki Bar is sponsored by Attorney Bob Lauder, the Carew Investment Group, Family Discount Furniture, and Pepin Lumber. Here's your chance to catch one full hour of Jimmy Buffett music inside the Tiki Bar, Saturdays at noon, and Mondays at 6 on ON, AM, and FM. We're local and live at 99.5 FM. M O N A M and F M. Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, our 1,000th show. I wanted to, before we get to the God question, I wanted to ask everyone to tell us about uh, their books, where they can find out more, websites, etc. Mark D'Antonio, and by the way, you don't know it yet, but you're going to be on the show very soon about your 2020 book, which we haven't covered yet. Oh, well, thank you. Um... Yeah, uh, I wrote a book called The Populated Universe, and it's actually uh, 
it answers the questions that, that basically most people fail to be able to answer when they're asked, do you believe there's life elsewhere and why? They'll always say, yes, I believe there's life elsewhere. But when you ask them why, then they fall back to, well, I can't believe we're alone. With so many planets out there, there's got to be more planets. Well, how about some science? We can add some science to that and talk about carbon. All life forms on the planet are carbon-based. They're bilaterally symmetric, right? So based on how our bodies are made and how much DNA is in, how DNA actually is in every single living creature, except a couple, okay, we want to consider that uh, the, the book is going to take you down the path of saying, well, I believe life is out there, and here's why. And it's going to help you answer that question. So that's that's the book, The Populated Universe, available on Amazon worldwide. Well, then um, we have remote observatories that we're running. All right, I have three now. I have one here. Well, when that telescope goes back in, it'll be uh, up and running again. We sold the dome because we outgrew it. Uh, but we have one in Arizona with a second one going into Arizona in another month or two. Um, and basically, we run them from anywhere we are in the country or in the world. We can run them from anywhere. And uh, so as uh, that's uh, you can find that all on skytourlive.org or skytourlive.com. We are a not-for-profit company. And uh, we've managed to, uh, uh, you know, uh, take this the science of astronomy into the public sector now because I believe science is for everybody and everybody should be able to understand it as long as it's uh, spoken in um, you know terms they can understand okay Kathleen Martin I've written six books three with nuclear physicist Stanton Friedman the late Stanton Friedman uh, and uh, the other three uh, one with Denise Stoner who is uh, my partner in UFO investigations, and uh, a couple more, one for experiencers of contact, and uh, the latest is Forbidden Knowledge, a personal journey from alien abduction to spiritual transformation. Uh, we are, in Dr. Melanie Barton and I are working on a new study. Uh, you can go to my website at kathleen Martin to uh, complete the survey. It's on religious belief and extraterrestrial life. There are 50 questions, but uh, anyone can take part in it. The first 25 are for those who have never had this kind of experience. So uh, hoping that you will go there, kathleen-marden.com. You can read where I will be speaking this year, order uh, autographed copies, of my books from my website, and they're also available in multiple formats on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Okay, Matthew Moniz. Yeah, um, we're in our 18th year at Spooky South Coast and enjoying it. Um, I'm currently writing two different books, one on local ghost stories, the other on um, alien abduction, my personal experience in cooperation with a couple of other people's experiences. Um, I've got, uh, I, I can mention one television show that's coming up, uh, Beyond Skinwalker Ranch, I'll be on the July 11th episode for the um, Bridgewater Triangle. Uh, I also will be filming something for a major network coming up, I can't mention who, but 
and that will be dealing with alien abductions that will probably be released towards the end of the year. And I will be speaking up at Exeter, New Hampshire this year. Okay. Anthony Peake. Right. I've written over the last two decades, I've written 12 books, and I've just started on my 13th. Uh, book sales just in paperback version is now running about 120,000 worldwide. I have at least one book in every major, well, my publishers have at least one book in every major European language and a number of minor ones. Um, and I'm now working on book 13 because my publisher, publishers have now asked me to write a book on near-death experiences in terms of really doing my approach to near-death experiences. Um, in terms of my books, you can get my books from general bookshops worldwide. Uh, if you want to buy them on Amazon, they're there. Um, all my books are on all formats, including Audible, which, by the way, I had to audition to read my own books on Audible, which is absolutely extraordinary. But apparently I was told I had the right kind of voice for them. Um, and people do seem to enjoy the Audible books, particularly uh, for some bizarre reason. Um, as my wife turns around to me, she says, why do you tell me about your theories when she can't sleep? <laughs> <laughs> so if you, you want you want a cure for insomnia, just buy one of my Audible books. Um, oh, um, my bo books cover you know the, the whole gamut of extraordinary human experiences, and I genuinely like to believe that my overall uber hypothesis can explain every single unique, strange, esoteric, um, psychological state, near-death experiences to out-of-body experiences. And the thing is, my starting point is always and will continue to be the science. And in my books, there are page after pages of references back to academic articles, because my approach is don't take my word for it. I don't want you to take my word for it. If you think I'm wrong, great. Just go back to the academic articles, read them and come back to me. And I will amend my, amend my model, because this is not about me. This is about trying to come up with a hypothesis of the human condition. Okay. Well, uh, we only have a, well, our books we talk about all the time, so the less said about them, the better on this show. Uh, we have about um, 15 minutes left, but let's dive into our fifth and final ultimate question. Who or what is God? Mm. Mark mm. D'Antonio. Of course, you got to go to me. <laughs> luck of the draw. Luck of the draw, right? Uh, or luck, luck of the, the alphabet. alphabet. Right. Alpha and Omega, am I right? Yeah, that's true. Well, you know what it is. Um, first of all, um, I, I led with this at a conference down in uh, Ozark. There was about 750 people in the audience, and I said to, when I went out on the stage, I said, "How many people have thought of a person they they know, and they haven't talked to in like 10 years, and suddenly that person calls you right then and there? Every hand went up. Okay." And then, of course, everybody started to laugh. And I said, science would make you believe that's a coincidence. Well, it's not coincidence. It's actually something that I believe is a variation, a form of quantum entanglement, which is what Anthony was talking about earlier, quantum entanglement. And then you were as well, Matt, I believe. Um, it's quantum entanglement, and I made up a word, the brainular level. It's, it's between brains. Okay, And I think that uh, that's something that has not been researched very well. Uh, it's been danced around, uh, but if we look at it from a scientific point of view, I think we'll find that human beings are linked. So what does that mean about the concept of a god? Um, does it mean that we are the makers of our fates? Now, I don't know the answer to that question. 
And uh, even in my book, I, when we talk about how life developed on Earth, because we have to learn, because as an astronomer, exoplanets were a big thing for me, and I spent a lot of time studying exoplanets and learning all about them and how life could persist and thrive and grow and be supported by planets of all different kinds. And in the book, uh, when I talk about, you know, we talk about peptide chains and proteins, and then when we get to the point, and it's all lay level, so everybody can understand it. Um, but when we get to the point about life, you can only end up saying, and then life happened. Okay, sentience is something, and self-awareness and so forth happened at a certain point, and no one on this planet can tell you when that happened. And I think that that's, that's an acceptable answer for me. Uh, I'd rather that there be some actual true mystery in the universe. But I do think if, if God exists, um, the, a God that I would, would like to see is the chief scientist of the universe because you have to have an intimate knowledge with how everything works from the smallest particle, if you believe in particles, or to the smallest string, if you believe in strings. Okay, to uh, to be able to manage um, all of the componentry of this vast universe. Um, so I don't. Uh, I know that there was the Gaia hypothesis years ago that said, "Oh, Earth is alive, and you know, you don't hurt the Earth because it will respond." And, well, I think that that those responses are based on uh, again our feeling that we can be hurting our planet, and so the natural responses don't do that. Right, uh, but in in effect, um, the brain has evolved to keep us out of pain and to stop us from thinking about things that may uh, be hurtful. Right? I mean, so you can't put your finger in a candle and leave it there; it'll be it'll come out automatically. It's an autonomous reflex. Right? Well, in the same way, uh, our brains will be uh, engaged to try to figure out our fate, and we'll try to figure out where we come from. And we will mull that question over, the finger in the flame, for, for the rest of our lives and not knowing just how the universe was put together. And as I said, I can't tell you what G-O-D means. Okay, backwards, it's dog. And we all love dogs. Okay, uh, well, if time flows backward, then we are, we are worshiping the dogs. Okay, but the fact is um, I can't explain what God is, uh, if there's a God or how we would see him and people say oh well he's everywhere well no air molecules are everywhere the ground is everywhere okay space is everywhere but what is god and and so uh, it really comes down to philosophy which i have steered clear of uh, kind of with a vengeance because i don't want to uh, muddy my waters with that kind of question because it will take me away from thinking about the science in a pure fashion Okay, Kathleen Martin. I think of God in terms of vibrational frequency and consciousness. And I think of God as being at the highest vibration with the highest level of consciousness, that God is the creator, the creator of all that is. Simple, short quest, uh, answer to okay. the question. Matthew Moniz. I'm somewhat in agreement with uh, Kathleen. Uh, I, I view God as, in air quotes here, uh, as just creation itself. Cre creation is one of the permanent things that goes through our universe. Things are always in motion being created 
and destroyed. You know, the only thing that is constant in the universe is change. Things are always and always being changed. So I, I view God as the act of total creation and what it does. Okay. And I'll leave it at that. Anthony Peake. Bill Hicks, the American comedian, one of his most famous monologues, turned around and said, breaking news, here's the news, breaking news. Young man on acid realizes that matter is only energy slowed down to walking pace. And we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. And I think that was considering it was a, a joke because he then turned around now over to Bill for the weather. I think that that was one of the most profound statements, because if you look at all the major religions, it is always look for the God within. It is always the idea that everything is God. Um, and, for instance, the concept of the or ain sof that we have within Kabbalah. We have the concept, similar concepts within Sufism. We also have the concept of Brahman within the Vedanta, which is the basis of, of the Hindu religion. We have a similar concept within um, within Buddhism. So clearly it is what um, Aldous Huxley called a perennial philosophy. It's the nugget that's in all religions worldwide, the great spirit. It's also within um, a lot of esoteric and occult belief systems as well. So for me, this idea that we are all one conscious experiencing it subjectively is very, very powerful. And indeed, I contributed a chapter to a book called Pandeism, an, anth an anthology, a few years ago, which has a series of essays putting forward the idea that pandeism, everything is God. You know, God is, God is literally everything. And in my last book, I come up with a concept which I haven't touched on at all at the moment, where I call every all of us that are living our life linearly in one life, I call Edelons. Then it's something I call the daemon, which is our higher self, for want of a better term. But above that, I have something I call the Uber Daemon, which is based on the similar concept as the Jungian collective unconscious. And that effectively is the conscious awareness and experience of all humanity. So when people regress into past lives, I argue what you're doing is you're regressing within the, the Uber Daemon's measure, uh, memory fields. So you can experience other people's lives in other times and other histories. But I then say that above that, there is something called the Godamon. And the Godamon is effectively the consciousness of everything. Because, and I'll, for this final thought, final thing, Sir Julian Jeans, who is an American, uh, a British astronomer, said that for many, many years we've believed that the universe is a great mechanism. The more we discover about quantum mechanics and cosmology, it's looking more and more like a great thought. And that great thought is God. Ben? So... Uh, I'm going to, so I've, 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 I mean, I'm only like, what, a little over 30 years old. I've, I've had a lot of really interesting life experiences, met a lot of really interesting people in my time. Um, and boy, oh boy, I feel way older than 31. But one of the really interesting things that I heard, and I've heard people say a lot, a lot of things, but one of the things that I never really, that always stuck in my head, um, was sort of this interpretation of Aristotle by, through a guy named, uh, Gregory Apollomos, right? So he has this whole idea, which is really interesting, which is um, God is essence and energies, right? So essence, you know, right, according to Aristotle, is everything has an essence, but we can't really know it, right? 
but the energies portion is, you know, how one acts in the world, right? So, you know, that, right? I know that you do paranormal, you do chemistry, you do all sorts of stuff, but I don't know your essence, right? I don't know you. I don't know that sort of portion of you that, that makes up yourself. I mean, same with my dad. I mean, I've lived with my dad, you know, for a good portion of my life. But yet, you know, I know my dad through how he acts in the world. I know him through his energies and how he, he interacts with everything, right? And I know him in a different way. Everybody else knows him. Um, but I don't know his essence. And so we sort of can't really know the essence of it, but we know how God acts and, and exists and inter interfaces with things. You know, we have a vague idea of it through our experiences. But really, at the end of the day, we can't know the essence. We do know the actions, perhaps, maybe. You know, we have ideas, whether it's, you know, quantum entanglement or, you know, we use quantum physics to try and quantify things. Um, but really, at the end of the day, we don't know the essence. We know the energies. So from where I come from, in a, in a cultural aspect, that's kind of as close as you're going to get, is we have this idea that we won't really know, but we know how it acts, and we know how it, how it exists in things. And we know that in some way, shape, or form, you know, somehow we're all led to a certain point. I always kind of like the idea that was floated in um, uh, Donnie Darko, of all things, where, you know, you have this sort of, like, little, like, <laughs> arrow that shoots out of you and kind of points you in directions that you're supposed to go, and there's, like, you know, it, it's... I, I kind of like that, but it kind of got rid of the whole point of free will. I mean, but whatever. That's a, that's a whole other thing. If you want to get into Taoism, we could do that, but, you know, we don't really have a ton of time for that. But the, but the idea of there being this sort of energy that exists in the world, right? How it, how something acts, you know, how we all act and interact with our environment, it's the same sort of deal. And so, you know, just like you all can't know my essence, I can't know your essence, we can't know a cosmic being's essence. Okay. Uh, I can't believe we covered that. But just briefly from my own point of view, uh, after a lifetime of studying theology formally and philosophy, not to mention the paranormal experiences, um, I long ago used a very, very simple approach. Uh, it's best summed up in the Old Testament and First Kings of all places, where God was not in the storm, and all these things were happening, God was not there. God was in the still, small voice. And I think in the end, especially as I get older and face some health challenges, my opinion has not changed. It's strengthened. In the end, we stand naked before God, just us, whatever or whoever God may be. And um, I think to follow the uh, commandment that love God, whatever you conceive, love him with all, him, he shared with them with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul. That's it. So. Well said, Father. That's the most stimulating conversation I have been involved with in years, I think. And we actually Thank got you to all it. Is... I can't believe it. <laughs> Thank you all so much. Uh, hang out if you can so we can chat after the show. But, uh, Ben, let's take our announcements. Yes, sir. Well, we got through all of it. We fought the good fight. Good job, everybody. Round of applause for us all. Um, you can visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find our nearly 1,200 hours of regular shows and special broadcasts. Since 2008, from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WON, AM, and FM Radio. Many thanks to our uh, our, our benevolent station manager, Dave Richards. Absolutely, I was going to say that he deserved. He put this all together thing. for us, and it's it's been it's been yeah. He's 
After all these years with Dave, he has been a, a magician. He has made he's things amazing. happen. Yeah. <laughs> and he's taught me a lot, too. And he's yeah. gotten us through so many remote broadcasts. If anyone has ever been to the Exeter UFO Festival, you will know how stressed out I get. And <laughs> all my hair loss is pretty much almost entirely from that event. But thank God for Dave, because <laughs> he gets me through it every time. But you can also hear many of those broadcasts and these and all of the broadcasts that we have done on major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube, even Spotify. You can find us on there as well. And certainly the, this particular show, the two-hour special, will um, – I hope the podcast apps got the the memo that this is going to be two hours and not one. Yeah, it'll be fine. Maybe. Yeah, so anyway, the, <laughs> we'll this will be, the video will be posted uh, later today. Uh, that's available on the station website here. And uh, the audio will be posted to the major platforms uh, sometime tomorrow. So uh, so what's so I, I guess I'll... I'll uh... Well, I, I want to mention the charities. Oh, yes, please. Yes, uh, on uh, BehindTheParanormal.com is our charity page. Uh, please consider these charities because we know those who run them personally. Mm. And there are uh, veterans' charities... Children's charities, uh, historical charities, and uh, please consider donating mm. or doing uh, whatever you can. Okay. Uh, anyone have any final thought for, for about 10 seconds here? I guess just not. To say thank, just to say thank you for inviting us. We're deeply honored. Likewise, yeah. You know, that, you know you've, you've decided to have us of all your guests on your thousandth show, and that is just wonderful. Thank you. I'm deeply honored. Well, of all the real all. people you could have had, you had us holograms on. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it was a tremendous mix. Okay, so, uh, all right, next week, uh, what's going on next week, Ben? Well, now, um, so next week we start our new millennium with an open line show, of course, to get to all the questions that we did not ask on this show. And maybe they won't be distillations of things that we get all the time. Uh, but we will. We have many questions that we never get a chance to answer. There's mountains and mountains of them. So for anybody who's been waiting, waiting patiently for us over these 1,000 shows, <laughs> yeah. maybe we'll get to yours. There's well, a chance. And then thanks, too, to our listeners who sent the questions in that we're able to boil down uh, ultimate or otherwise. Indeed. So we leave you today with a thought from the ancient Greek historian Polybius. The strong mind hopes and always has cause to hope. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thank you for listening to our 1,000th show, our 15th year on the air. Many thanks to all of those who participated today. Anyone who's participating by listening, feel free to listen to the show as many times as you like, especially since Anthony has a voice that can put you to sleep. Although his... <laughs> I, I actually wakes, didn't... wakes me up. Yeah, I know. It's very, it's honestly very stimulating. But I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.